Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1, going through verse 25. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have, de have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having <coughs> followed all things closely for some time, past to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught in the days of Herod king of Judea there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth and they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the hour of incense at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. <coughs> but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and, remind, and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is God's word. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Dan. So are we working? All right. Sean, let's give a hand to Sean. Woo, thank you, Sean. He loves it when we draw attention to him. That's his favorite thing ever. Um, have you guys ever been stuck in a rut you know what it means to be stuck in a rut? 
Um, sometimes I, I feel like it would be nice to be stuck in a rut. Wouldn't that be nice every once in a while? Um, here at Grace Church, we try to avoid ever being stuck in a rut. Um, just kidding. Now, Kim and I have joked at times that it would be really nice to just be stuck in a rut for a while. Uh, you know, establishing habits and routines, that can actually be a, a good thing. It's kind of a basic tool for surviving in the world, you know, is to have some sort of status quo. Uh, but if you're depending on the status quo all the time, that obviously has some drawbacks. Um, if, you're, if you're too stuck with the status quo, it can keep you from career advancement, exploring new places, and all sorts of things, right? And the status quo can also keep us from uh, recognizing the work of God around us. Um, it, can, it, can it can lead us to fail to see when God is at work. Today we're going to be looking at John the Baptist, the birth of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a man sent from God for the exact explicit purpose of shaking up the status quo. That's why God sent John the Baptist, was to shake up the status quo um, because some people were stuck in a rut. And so John came to help them recognize God was doing a new thing among them. Um, today we're uh, starting out in Luke's gospel here. Uh, it's a new season um, looking at the coming king. And we're going to spend a few weeks leading up to Christmas in Luke's gospel for two reasons. One is um, Luke's gospel just does an amazing job with the Christmas story. And it's, it's a tradition of my family that every Christmas morning we read Luke chapter 2 and, and look at the Christmas story again. And so I just love the opportunity to look at this story that way. Um, I also love Luke's gospel because he does such a good job providing the details and the richness of the stories for us. And so as the first four verses here of Luke's gospel explains, Luke sets out to provide a historical account of the things that happened. And he does a really good job with it. He compiles eyewitness testimony, and he puts it all together in a very orderly fashion. Uh, some of the other Gospels are put together in more of a thematic way. Right? He, Matthew, for instance, is going to lump all the teaching together and lump all the miracles together. Luke is going to kind of blend them because he's trying to lay this out in an orderly fashion. This is what happened. This is how it all all played out. And so Luke provides all this. He builds on the precedent of other people that have written on these things. And he's writing to this man, Theophilus. Let me, let me read verses 3 and 4. Um, Luke says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke wants to provide a very accurate account, and he's doing it because he wants to provide certainty to this man, Theophilus, who had been taught these things about Jesus, but probably needed some gaps filled in for him. And so Luke is providing good history here, and he's doing it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not just Theophilus that's benefiting from this, it's us. Um, we get the benefit of this orderly account that helps us to understand all these good things about what was happening at this time. And so today we're looking at the birth of John the Baptist, um, both the promise of that and the fulfillment of that. And God was doing a new thing. God was doing a new thing in their midst. And the really cool thing about the way this story lays out is that God in his mercy was giving people an opportunity to get prepared, to get ready 
for what he was about to do. And so um, as we go through this story, there's, there's two big scenes. And, and we just read scene number one, which is the announcement and the response. Uh, scene number two we'll see in a few minutes here is the fulfillment and significance of that. So the announcement. And Luke does just a great job setting the stage for us. When did this happen? This happened during the time in the days of Herod, king of Judea. And those were days of political tension. For us, you know, we're, we're way removed from this. We don't understand the significance. But the days of, of Herod, king of Judea, this was a time of political tension. Herod was a puppet king under the Roman government. And Israel was not happy being under Gentile domination. They had been under the, the Babylonians and then the Persians and then the Greeks and now the Romans. And they had this, this desire to see God's promises fulfilled. They were looking for a king who would come and rescue them. And so, um, also in the midst of this, they had had 400 years of silence from the Lord. They had not heard from the Lord. None of the prophets had brought a message for 400 years. Now, think back in American history, how long ago 400 years was. Okay, that's, that's around 1,600 which isn't American history, because <laughs> that's before America existed, right? So that's, that's around the time of the Jamestown colony. Everybody knows about that, right? That was a really long time ago. Uh, it was 200 years after that that the U.S. Constitution was written. So 400 years ago is a long time, and that's how long it had been for Israel that they had been waiting for something from the Lord. And so that's the time frame, that's the setting, and this was a time of national expectancy. They were longing for the Messiah to come and rescue them. Um, and then you see that this is an announcement to this man, Zechariah. Zechariah is advanced in years. He and his wife had no children, even though, as we'll find out, they had been praying for children. Uh, but Zechariah is about to have the biggest day of his life. <laughs> and he knows it's a big day because he gets to go into the temple. And it tells you that that, that was, uh, by custom, that was something that they did. They drew lots to allow, to pick who's going to go in. Basically, it's a lottery system to see who gets to go in. And this is a one-time event in the life of a priest. Um, it's estimated there were about 20,000 priests in Jerusalem that would manage this whole system. They had it all laid out, who got to go in and when and all that. Um, so once in your life... You get to go into the, the temple if you're lucky, if the lottery works out for you. And this was his day. And so you can feel kind of the, the excitement, the suspense for Zechariah. He gets to go into the temple. And the temple was where the Lord had promised to meet with his people. And so Zechariah goes into the temple and he has quite the surprise for him there. He encounters an angel. Um, it tells us here um, that he came in and Zechariah was troubled when he saw this angel, or another way of translating that would be startled. He's shocked that he sees this angel, and he responds in fear, which is apparently what you do. Every time in the Bible <laughs> when an angel shows up, they respond in fear. And so they, they, he responds in fear, and the angel, Gabriel, brings this announcement. Let me read it again for us, just so it's fresh in our minds. Verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. 
and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That is quite the description of this child. So Zechariah has to be reeling. He's, he's an older man, and he's discovering, I'm going to have a baby? And then he hears all of this. <laughs> Whoa, I'm going to have a really special child. And so there's going to be joy at the birth of John. He's going to be great before the Lord. He's to be consecrated to God, set apart for the Lord. You get that from that comment there about no wine or strong drink. Um, just background, read a verse here in Leviticus. or Leviticus 10, 8 and 9 says, The Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It will be a statute forever throughout your generations. That was the command given to the priests who were to set themselves aside for service to the Lord. And that's the, that's the statement about John. John is going to be set aside for the Lord. And then we find out he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Now that's a direct quote out of the last book in your Bible. In the Old Testament, Malachi the very last two verses of the Old Testament, here's what it says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. John's job, what John was sent for, was to prepare the people. And John was going to come, and the idea was that he was going to bring about this revival in Israel of people turning back to the Lord. And that's really what John the Baptist's ministry was. What's fascinating about this is the response that Zechariah gives. And there's some irony in this. Zechariah says, how shall I know this? Which, to be fair, I mean, let's cut the guy some slack. He's, he's older. <laughs> They've probably been praying for years that they're going to have a child. And he, in, in this moment, is like, uh, really? But he responds in unbelief. Um, and, and just to be fair to him, miracles were not common in the Bible. Just point that out. Um, we, we sometimes get the, the idea that every, uh, you know, biblical times, there are just miracles happening everywhere. Miracles really centered in three seasons of history. You have a bunch of miracles around Moses, you have a bunch of miracles around Elijah and Elisha, and then you have miracles around Jesus, right? And that's when the miracles happened. It's when God was doing a new thing and he wanted to confirm it for the people so they could say, oh, wow, God is in this. And so for poor Zechariah, miracles hadn't happened for a while, (laughs) and, and he's looking at this the same way we would look at this how am I going to have a child? And so he responds in unbelief. And the fascinating thing, the irony, is that God is sending John to prepare the people. And he sends this message to Zechariah, and Zechariah is not prepared. He's not ready for this message. This this catches him off guard, and he is not ready for this. And it kind of points to a bigger problem. 
And it's a problem that is, is all through the Gospels. You see that it's not just Zechariah who was unprepared. It's all of the religious leaders of Israel. And so this message comes to Zechariah the priest. And he needs a little time to think about it. He needs time to be prepared. And it's also a message that is, is for all the people. And what a gracious thing God was doing by giving them time, time to prepare their hearts. It takes, takes a while to make a baby. They've got nine months to think about it. And John uh, is silent for this time. And so for at least the next nine months, Zechariah is unable to speak, which is a sign to him. It's also a sign to the crowds. He comes out, and all these people are like, why can't this guy talk? Right? And he probably wrote down for them, here's what's going on, <laughs> and, and explained all that he had just experienced. And so it's a sign to the people. And then it's also kind of a compelling sign because he literally goes for the next however long, nine months or more, not speaking. And that would really confirm this to them. Okay, he's not faking it. This, this is the real deal. And so we see all of this happening. And then in verse 24, we get the fulfillment. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now John goes, or John, John, Luke goes on in his telling of this to talk about two different scenes. And so he talks about everything that's going on with John the Baptist, and then he goes over and he talks about Mary and the prophecy concerning Jesus. We're going to look at that next week. So he talks about the, the prophecy about John, then the prophecy about Jesus, and then he comes back to John. And that's what we're going to look at now is, the, is scene two, the fulfillment and the significance of John the Baptist being born. So we're going to look at verse 57 here. We'll jump down here, and we're going to consider how the fulfillment plays out. So verse 57, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John which at the time was a pretty unusual name. For us, that sounds like really common, but for them, it was a pretty unusual name. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This was the talk of the town. This was, everybody knew about this. And you can imagine the rumor mill spreading this message out. Zechariah is talking again. Yeah, it happened right when the baby was born. Yeah, Mom and dad both wanted to name it John, this, this child John, and they said it's because of this angel and, and all of this message. And they, they make this statement, what then will this child be? They recognized that there was something unique going on in these events. Um, these events really helped set up, launch the, the ministry of, the John, of John the Baptist many years later, 
as people recognize there is a unique thing going on in the life of this man. And so the birth of John meant Zechariah could speak again. You know, he's had nine months of not talking. He's had some time to think about this. <laughs> he's, he's responding in this moment in a very different place. And so you see in this, not only is he speaking from faith, but we also find out he's speaking as he's led by the Holy Spirit. And so let me read the, the remainder of this chapter. It says, um, Zechariah, uh, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. I want to point out a few things here. Um, In this prophecy, we find out the significance of what God is doing in this moment of time, through John and and ultimately through Jesus as well. John was the forerunner. He's going ahead and bringing this message. Everybody get ready. Be prepared. Be prepared. There's something happening here, and you need to make sure you're on the right side of this. And Jesus was the fulfillment. And so Zechariah is announcing this is about to happen. And Zechariah's prophecy is both praise to God, praise the Lord for what's happening, but it's also foretelling what's about to happen. And so he tells them, um, here's some things that are happening. Verse 68, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed Israel his people. He's speaking of it as if it's already a done deal. He's he's looking ahead to this. And this is really significant because of that 400 years of silence. Nothing had happened. They had not heard from the Lord for 400 years. And Zechariah, who had to be quiet for a year, (laughs) Zechariah gets to be the one to announce this message. The Lord has visited his people. We're not alone. God's still with us. That is an amazingly reassuring truth, that God was still with his people. And then he goes on to describe that God is raising up the promised king from the line of David. Now, if you've been in the covenants class, you know, ding, 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 that's significant. Hold on, whoa, David, he said the key word. There was a promise that this would happen. And so let me read a couple of these promises. So um, 2 Samuel 7 This was the word of the Lord to David, King David, which would have been a thousand years earlier. When your days are fulfilled, 
and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That was the hope. That was their hope. Now, you remember, they've been under occupation from these other nations for 400 years, and they're longing for this king from the line of David to come back, and they haven't had a king on their throne for this whole time. And so this, this promise that this Davidic king is coming is significant. Um, this is the same thing that the prophets were looking ahead to. Jeremiah 33 says this, Behold, the days are, dec- are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah in those are righteousness. Man, they, they would have clung to that promise. Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. Even in our day, man, I, I, they must be longing for that. And so the Jewish people who had been ruled over by all these nations, they're looking ahead for this king from the line of David. And Zechariah prophesies this in verse 69, um, that, he, that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And so it's not just that Zechariah is prophesying about John the Baptist, his son. He's also prophesying about Jesus and all the events that are about to take place. And so God is raising up this this person, this king from the line of David. God is also remembering his covenant to Abraham. Look at verses uh, 72 and following. God's doing this to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Again, God had made a promise to Abraham. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless all of your descendants, and you're going to see this blessing throughout your generation. So let me read another passage here. Genesis 22, 17 and 18 says this. God speaking to Abraham, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So God's going to keep a promise that he made 2,000 years earlier with Abraham. So you see this promise to Abraham, you see this promise to David, and there's this longing. When is God going to answer and fulfill these longings that they have? And Zechariah gets the opportunity to say, it's happening right now. God is doing a new thing. And so God made this promise to David, he's going to keep it. God made this promise to Abraham, he's going to keep it. And now, through Zechariah's son, we find out in verses 76 and 77 here what God intends to do with him. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord, before ahead of Jesus, right? You're going to go before the ministry of Jesus. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of of their sins. And so that's what we read about in Malachi earlier. Let me read it one more time. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. 
the purpose of what God wanted to do here. He wanted to see fathers and sons reconciled. He wanted to see relational sin dealt with. He wanted the people to be in a place where they could receive the Lord and God could come with mercy. This was a, this was a mission of mercy to prepare the people. How is John like Elijah? Well, both of them were sent to help the people turn back to the Lord. And so that's what John's mission is. He's going out, mission of mercy, turn the people back to the Lord, help them to deal with some of these enormous sin problems so that they're ready for when God shows up. In all of this, we see in verse 78, why did God do these things? Man, if, if you underline in your Bible, this would be a really great phrase to, to underline, tender mercy. He did this because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. What is that talking about? That seems to be talking about Jesus. Jesus is the sunrise. He is the dawn, the new light that is shining upon his people to give them hope and to fulfill all their desires and their longings. So Luke writes about this to a guy named Theophilus. He wrote about this 2,000 years ago. How does that relate to us today? Why is this significant for us? Uh, Theophilus, it's interesting, Theophilus' name means uh, one who loves God. Theo, God, Phyllis, like to love, brotherly love kind of idea. Um, one who loves God. And so, you know, hopefully those in this room that you guys are in a place where you also love the Lord. And so it's, it's written to a specific man, it would seem, but, but it also applies to us. Um, Luke wrote these words 30 years after, roughly 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he writes it to this guy, uh, Theophilus, who probably already knew something about the ministry of John the Baptist and something about the ministry of Jesus. But Theophilus wants to, or Luke wants to fill in some gaps for him and help him understand the details of what happened, the significance of what happened, so that he could respond with, with, with real certainty to all of this. And so I think that's, that's true for us as well, right? We, we know something about these events, but this is valuable for us to help us have certainty around these things. Um, how do we respond as we consider what the Lord was doing in this moment in history? How does it, how does it apply to us? And, and I have a few suggestions, a few things that I think ought to hit us at a heart level with these things. The first thing is I, I think we ought to rejoice that God answers prayers. Okay, so if you remember Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have not been able to have children. And they have prayed to the Lord for children. And for whatever reason, God saw fit to delay the answer to that prayer. And they waited and they waited until they probably thought, oh, that ship has sailed, that's not going to happen. And God, it says, God speaks through Gabriel and says, the Lord has heard your prayer. And man, that's good news. Isn't that good news? God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. Not always in the way we like, <laughs> often not the way that we would, we would do things, but God does hear our prayers. Um, another thing that I think is just beautiful about this story is that God keeps his promises. 
And if you've been part of the covenants class, you know, that's, that's one of the major themes of, of what we've been talking about is, is that God keeps his promises. You know, he kept his promise to, to Abraham, to David, and then he makes a promise to Zechariah and Elizabeth, you're going to have a son. They do. If God has made promises to us, we can rely on those things. And we need to be careful not to rely on things that he hasn't promised. But, but God has promised many good things to us, and so we need to just have great confidence in that and rejoice in that. God is one who keeps his promises. Um, but then the last thing, and this is where I want to kind of focus, uh, focus our attention. I think we need to be prepared when God chooses to act. When God chooses to do a new thing, we need to be ready for that. And that, that was kind of the... The whole point of John the Baptist and his ministry was to prepare the people. And it was also the kind of the point of, of uh, concern there with Zechariah is that he wasn't ready. God showed up to do a new thing, and he wasn't quite ready for it. I think one of the dangers for us, um, you know, we, we as Christians, we know better, but we can easily, I think, put God in a box, this, this is how God operates. He stays inside this little box. He doesn't do this kind of stuff. He stays right here. And the, the problem with that is God won't stay in your box, <laughs> figuratively or literally or whatever, however you want to say that. God's not going to stay in your box. He's not going to fit in your box. Um, he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants, and he often does. And God often does things outside of our plan for how we think things are going to happen. You know, here at Grace Church, we had launch day on September 17th. It was going to be great. We had it all planned out and everything. And within two weeks, we we're like, okay, I guess we're meeting somewhere else. You know, God has different plans than I do so often. You know, um, Zechariah went into the temple that day. Um, he's just an ordinary guy. You know, he's trying to live righteously before the Lord. Him and he and Elizabeth. Uh, he went into the the temple that day with no idea that there would be an angel in there waiting for him, Gabriel, this, this mighty angel. Um, he had no idea that going in there, he was not going to get to speak for the next nine months. Honey, I've got a few things to tell you before, we, before I go in there, you know. Um, he had no idea, and yet the Lord had this planned out. This is what God's going to do in his life, ultimately because he had a huge purpose for him in mind. Zechariah is going to speak these words. You've got to be silent for a while. But afterwards, he's going to speak these words that echo down through the generations to us. Words that are recorded in Scripture. Zechariah and Elizabeth get to be parents to this guy, John, who's a little weird. But John is, is this amazing prophet of the Lord. And they get to be his parents and bring him into the world and have this front row seat into what God was doing. Um, in the world at that time. God can intervene in human history anytime He wants. And the question I think we need to ask ourselves is, are we ready? Are we ready, are we prepared, if the Lord should choose to do something in our lives, in our time? You know, if God chose to do a great work of revival here in Pasco, would we be prepared? Would we be ready for that? Um, if, if God were to uh, act in a, in a visible way in your life, um, would you be aware of it? I think that's part of the question, is, is are we even aware of how God is at work 
in the world around us. Um, unbelief is a very dangerous thing. And that was the, the thing that plagued the nation of Israel. Even as John and Jesus come onto the scene, unbelief was one of the major problems that they had. And we don't want to be gullible and just believe everything, right? There's a lot of things that you shouldn't believe. Um, but we should be, uh, you know, we just finished this, this series on Galatians and talked about walking in step with the Spirit. And we should be walking in step with the Spirit, sensitive to how the Lord is at work in the world around us, prepared to see His hand and to join Him. You know, maybe you need to, you realize, I need to, I need to reach out to my neighbor, or I've got this coworker, I just really need to share the gospel with them. And, and are you aware of how God is at work in the lives of the people around you um, so that you can be prepared? You know, as we head into Christmas, uh, there, there, and I, I wonder how many sermons have been preached on Luke 1 about Christmas, right? A lot through the years, through the last 2,000 years. And often we, we leave it at, let's make sure we're, our hearts are prepared for Christmas. And that's a good thing. We should be prepared to worship the Lord as we head into this season and prepared to, to recognize the significance. You know, it's not just all about the glitter and the lights. It's about Jesus. But I think more than that, as Luke's writing these words to this guy, Theophilus, more than just get ready for Christmas, I think his message to Theophilus was, you're looking for certainty, right? I'm writing these things to you so you can have certainty. Um, oftentimes there's not certainty. <laughs> and we need to be prepared if the Lord does a new thing, a new work in our lives. We need to be ready for what God is going to do around us. Uh, my, my admonition to myself and to you guys is let's not get caught unprepared and not ready when the Lord chooses to do something new in our lives. Let's be ready for God's good work. Um, Let's have hearts that are anticipating the work of the Lord in our time and in this place. Let's pray. Um, Father, God, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for how fresh and relevant and true it is, not just for Theophilus 2,000 years ago, but in our own time, Lord. And Father, we do pray, Lord, that you would allow us to see the things that you are doing in the world around us, Lord. And, and they're certainly not as, as history-changing as the events surrounding Jesus at that time. Uh, those were unique things that you were doing there. And yet, Lord, we know that you are at work in the world around us. And so, Father, please allow us to, to join you in those things. And, Lord, if you do choose to do something new and different, um, Lord, may we not be unprepared. May our hearts be ready to believe you, to trust you in whatever you choose to do in our lives, Lord. And when you throw a monkey wrench into our plans, Lord, may we respond with confidence in you, knowing that, Lord, you keep your promises. You are good, you are faithful, you are true. Lord, may we respond in great love and with faith. And we pray this in Christ's name.